it was a shock. I mean, I, I heard something was going on and I was just kind of like, well, you know, it can't be that serious. I mean, but we did start doing a few things like we, we had someone serving the cheese and crackers and relishes instead of the customers just getting it on their own. And we started wiping down all the handrails and that was just like two days of that. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're closed. And so the first thing was, I said, oh my God, these employees that live, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You know, we called every single employee, 368. We called every single one and had talks with them and said, okay, don't worry. If you need money, we'll loan you money. Your job's gonna be safe. You're listening to the Authenticity is Contagious podcast with Kathleen O'Grady, where she and her guests discuss what it means to choose your authentic self, to remove negative energy, to live a calmer life, and to become more a more heart-centered person, a stronger leader, a better partner, and a friend. Come join us on this journey of creating the life you've been missing out on, one intention at a time. Here's your host, authentic leadership coach and founder of Rally Coaching and Rally Coaching Academy, Kathleen O'Grady. You are in for a special treat today. On the show, we have an absolute icon in the Raleigh restaurant industry, Van Ure, owner of the Angus Barn, and I had the privilege of talking about her authentic leadership style, how she's managed her 368 employees through the worldwide pandemic that caused a shutdown and then dramatic changes to all restaurants. Van and the Angus Barn are known for their over-the-top hospitality, and she couldn't have been more gracious with her time today as we sat down together in the gorgeous wine cellar underneath the restaurant. Van, I, when I found out that I was going to get to interview you, I was absolutely giddy. And I want Aww. you to know why. The reason is my mission in life is to foster authentic leadership. And you are and have been a pioneer of authentic leadership since before it was a thing and before it was a term and before it was popular. And that's a really big deal. So I have so many questions prepared for you. Wow, okay. But I want to start out by saying that if I were to describe you in my own words, you're kind of like the Santa Claus of the restaurant industry. Oh, my God. And when you're at the restaurant and you get to see you walking around and greeting the guests, you actually feel like you're in someone's home. And for whatever reason, I live four miles from here. Every time I come to the Angus Barn, I feel like I'm on vacation. <laughs> oh, that is just the way that I really want people to feel. So that's so cool that you said that because my goal is like that life is full of so much stuff, you know, and especially now. Mm-hmm. But that from the minute people pull off of 70 onto our driveway from that second, that they should have like however many hours they're here whether it's two hours or four hours or whatever, that that should be a complete, like, relief from all the issues and problems that they're dealing with, that we we should be able to give them that gift. You know, and it's a gift because, you know, it's a gift of time that they don't get to have without worrying about things. I mean, if they wanted to, they could go to the grocery store, get the groceries, cook the meal, you know, have everyone to their house, clean the table, but they chose 
to come here to let us do that for them. So that's a real compliment to us. And we need to, you know, really take it seriously. Like, you know, kind of like it's therapy. Yeah. But it wasn't always like that, was it? It took a long way to get here. Yes. Yes. And I know you've been interviewed so many times over the years. And so I I really just want to focus some of the questions today around what I see is is aspects of your authentic leadership. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I know to be true as per the, the Santa Claus comment is that the way you operate in terms of your core values that I can see are integrity, generosity, and an abundance mindset. And with a restaurant and being in the restaurant industry, you know that that margin can be really, really small. And having such a large operation and multiple operations, it's counterintuitive in in most cases to really be that generous and to Mm -hmm. really put out of your pocket just to make sure that you've satisfied your customer. Mm -hmm. And so when did you know that that's how you wanted to lead? Well, soon after my father passed away, I went to a leadership conference where Ken Blanchard spoke, and I couldn't get enough of what he was saying. It was all about empowering your employees and giving them the gift of making the decision. So I started studying everything that he said, and one thing he said was, if you're going to change your organization to be more focused on the employees being able to make decisions, you can't just do it like boom, because it's like turning a triangle upside down and then all the pegs fall off. You know, you have to kind of do it slowly. So slowly but surely, we started doing all kinds of things like letting them be in charge of making their own schedules and figuring out how the side work should be and how the... Now it's gone to the point where... When we get a new class of people that are working here, like every time we have a new group of like 30 people, which happens, they'll meet with me personally for like a three-hour class. And I'll go through what I call the uh, 12 commandments of customer service. Well, during that class, I have this, this gift that I hand them, and it's wrapped really beautifully. It's like, a um, looks like, oh my God, what could be in this gift? And they open it up. And inside there's a little card, and that card says, by being employed at Angus Barn, I now accept the responsibility that I will do whatever it takes to make a guest experience great, no matter what it takes. And so I I said, you have this ability. You can do it. It doesn't matter if you have to comp a meal, if you have to make someone a gift basket, if you have to, you know, whatever you have to do. You don't have to earn this by years of being here. Just the fact that you're hired here now, you're given this responsibility. So it's really hard for a lot of them to accept that because they've never been in a place where they've been allowed to, you know, make decisions like that. But I look each one of them in the eye and I say, do you really accept this responsibility? Because it's huge. Because let me give you an example. If you're at a gas station and you're filling your car with gas and someone sees you, you have Angus Barn logo on your shirt and they say, oh God, last time I ate there, I had a bad experience. You have to say, oh my gosh, let me get your, let me get your information. We're going to make this right. And, and uh, if they don't want to give you their information, guess what you have to do? You have to get their license plate. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) because we're going to find them and we're going to make it right. So like you are accepting the responsibility that, 
you know, you're going to treat this like you're the owner. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, by treating the employees, well, I believe in that they are my customers. So if I treat them like they're my customers, then it is an example of how they should treat the customers. And all it really does is create loyalty and create people just wanting to do as much as they can for the company. And it's so simple, but so many companies don't realize it or get it that, you know, you don't, you don't have to rule, you know, like with an iron fist or like with this and this and this is where we're going to do it. You just, you know, you just have to, like we call it the 20 foot rule. If we have a issue, we go to the people that are within 20 feet of the problem and we get, bring them together and we say, okay, let's work on this. Let's figure this out. Cause you know, usually if, if you're the one that's like in the trenches doing it, you've already sat there and figured out, well, if they did it this way or this way or this way, it would work out better. And so usually they've already got the answer. So we call that the 20 foot rule. So anytime we're like in the office trying to figure something out, we're like 20 foot rule, <laughs> let's bring them in. So we bring in the people that are closest to the problem and, right. you know, then they help us figure it out. So, so it just causes employees, how you treat them as not even employees. I, I consider myself their employee because really that's what I am. I am a provider for their needs. Like if they come to me and say, we can't set the tables because we don't have enough silverware. I mean, it's my job to make sure that they get the tools, you know, that they need to do their job. So, you know, that's basically what being a great owner is, is I think just being a great listener yeah. and being a great, you know, provider of people's needs. And I mean, can I do everything they need? No, but I always can listen. So that's really how the managers all operate under that same, you know, structure. I think that's the big culture change that we had here was when we started doing that. Now, when my dad ran it, it was a completely different time and they loved him. I mean, they adored my dad, but that was, you know, that was just a different time when, you know, he would just say, this is how we're going to do it. And da, 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 you know, and that, but if he were alive today, he would totally agree with the way that, that I'm doing it. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But I, I just believe if you take care of them, they're going to take care of your guest. Yeah. There's a book by Stephen Covey Jr., that is called Speed of Trust. Mm-hmm. And he gives the example of uh, somebody on the streets in Manhattan selling mm-hmm. like donuts and, and pastries. And he would have a line. And so he couldn't make change fast enough. So he would lose customers. So eventually he just put a bunch of cash and change in a basket and just said, please make your own change. And then as a result, people appreciated being trusted to make their own change. And he ended up getting more and more tips than he did beforehand. Very cool. So I think that's a lot like what what you're displaying. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious because I know you the barn originally opened in 1960. It was burned down in 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, you took over in 1988. Mm-hmm. But before that, you created the foundation of hope. Well, now I had worked, you know, I worked here since I was like 12 mm-hmm. because if you're in a family that has a restaurant, you are going to work. I think the last show that we watched was the Adams family because my sister and brother and I were sitting there watching TV on a Saturday afternoon in the summer. And my father came home. We were all three sitting there watching TV and he goes, Oh no, 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 this does not work for me. 
you're going to work tomorrow. And then, so that was it. I think that was the last, like, <laughs> show that I remember. And see, and so people talk about, oh, remember this show and that show? I'm like, no, I don't remember. <laughs> but what happened with the Foundation of Hope was, so my brother got really sick when he was 15. And my parents literally tried every hospital in the United States to try to figure out what was wrong. Everywhere they went, they were told, we know nothing about what's going on in his brain. We, we don't know. This is one area of science that we have not ever had a lot of research done in. So we don't know what to do with him. And so as a result, of course, he was in a lot of different hospitals. And it ended up where he is a chronic bipolar and schizophrenic. And then he's, he's been that way since he was that age. So my father, you know, who isn't used to, like, not being able to make something out of something, he said, okay, okay, so I can't make my own son well, so at least I can start a foundation to raise money for mental illness so that maybe other families won't have to, you know, go through what we're going through Mm -hmm. and do something positive about this, you know, drastic situation that we're in. And so, you know, our lives pretty much changed, you know, when he got that sick. But it was just my father's own private little foundation that he would put money in. He had a board of directors, and they would decide which scientists to fund. And so then when my father passed away, the Angus Bryan employees, who loved him so much, they wanted to do something to raise money for his foundation, so they started the walk. Yep. So that's how it started. So it was really started by the employees when my father passed away. And we only thought there'd be one. Started with like 150 people, and then now there's like 4,000. And it's been going on for 31 years now. My sister runs it now, and uh, we have funded some projects that have had incredible results, some research that one with postpartum where a drug has been created for that, and it's... It just, I mean, often in the research world, you don't see the results of your work, you know, because it can be years and years and years. But we have seen some incredible results with some of the medications and some of the treatments that these unbelievable researchers come and present their uh, studies to the group, and then they choose how much money they want to give them. And then the good thing is, is that seed money that then they can go and apply to the National Institute. And then because we have believed in them with seed money, then more money can come in from the national. So we we have been able to really make a big dent in in the world of mental illness with everything, bipolar, schizophrenia, post-PTSD, you know, anxiety disorders, just, you know, everything. Well, the reason that's so extraordinary is because in most cases, when you don't have a frame of reference for something, you know, at that time, as you mentioned, that mental illness, especially to that extent, was not something that you could just recognize very easily, even even within the medical field. And so now I know you don't have time to watch television, (laughs) but there are actually more and more movies and shows on Netflix that are emphasizing Mm -hmm. and and illustrating what people who have this in their families have to go through, as well as autism. So that's how you take a victimizing situation and create something from it. Right. That's extraordinary. And even my brother, when he was 
well, he goes through periods of when he's doing fine and then when, when he's not. But one, there was one year when he was doing really well and my sister asked him, would you write something for us to read at one of our events? And he wrote the most beautiful speech that, and I read it like from him. And it was like, you know, here's how my life has been. But if because of this, we can make a change, we can find cures, we can help people that struggle with this, then it's been worth it. You know, so, I mean, it was so beautifully worded. It was just like, you could hear a pin drop, you know, in the audience when I was reading it, you know, cause it was his words. But, you know, he's not doing well. He's, every day is just, for, for someone that struggles that badly, every day is a challenge. I have to just say that there's a good thing that's come from it. And my sister, she works so hard at the foundation. She, every penny, I mean, oh my God. Every penny is accounted for. She will make sure that every research dollar is, you know, everything is funded just right. And everything's done just right. And she's she's just the perfect person to run it. Because I can't really run that and run this, you know. But I am very involved in that, of course. So speaking of someone like you who takes care of everybody else for a living, how do you take care of Van? How do you practice self-care? Well, I have several strategies. Uh, the first thing is I do a, a little meditation time in the morning where I just close my eyes and then I do 10 minutes of just try to do deep breathing. And then I do 10 minutes of prayer where I'm praying for different things and people and situations. And then I do 10 minutes of what I'm grateful for. And it can be anything from I can start with, I'm grateful that I live in a country where we're free. I mean, I'm grateful for these people in my life, you know, so it can be whatever, but every day is different, but I do that every day. And then I have my rescue horses. That's how I hurt my back. (laughs) But that is, so I rescue these horses that have been abused and I get them through organizations that go to these sales and buy these horses that are getting ready to just kind of be, you know, that they don't think can ever be anything, but they see something in these horses that they can maybe be something. So they'll buy them for like $50 or whatever, and then they'll put them up on these sites and say, who wants them? And so, so if I have space at the time, then I'll, then I'll take one and I can have four at a time. That's right there at my house. And so what gives me so much pleasure is I can watch these animals that are starved or that are scared to death of humans or that can't be touched I can slowly watch them start to trust again and gain weight. And like one of them, I'm even now just getting so I can touch his feet, you know, just to get to that point. And that when I'm out there with the animals, when I'm in the pasture with the horses and doing my stuff with them, I I don't have my phone with me. I am so focused on that. So, you know, I have that. And that usually takes, you know, an hour to two hours of my day. And then I started, so with the Corona thing, I said, okay, everybody needs to have a Corona skill that they learned that they would never have learned if they didn't have this time, the time that we would never have again. So I had played piano when I was young, but never, you know, really picked it up again. So I got this book, Queen, and I'm learning to play. My Corona skill was somebody to love. And Bohemian Rhapsody. So, out of my 
my <laughs> corona skill and i can't really do it when anyone's in the house because like they're like oh my god there she goes again on you know because when you're learning a song you you mess up you play it over and over and over and over and so you know but that's been like my saving grace so so i have those those three things that that I do well the meditation I've been doing for a long time and the animal rescue I've been doing that for a long time but but when, I think that's really what saves me because sometimes I laugh at myself when I'm out in the pasture and I'm, my hair is like up in this light thing that looks like pebbles and I am dripping sweat and I'm trying to lift these these are draft horses and I'm trying to lift their feet and I'm laughing at myself I'm thinking oh my god and I'm and I'm you know like scooping poop and all this stuff and I'm, and <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh my God, if, if if they could see me right now, they would just die laughing because they wouldn't believe, you know. But it is such therapy for me. And usually I don't hurt myself. Usually I'm, this just happened because I yeah. unloaded too many bags of grain. One well, time. and that's just yet another <laughs> example of how you persevere and how generous you are because we could have rescheduled and here you are. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was going to crawl to the <laughs> crawl to the interview if I had to. <laughs> no, but that's my, that's, that's how I stay sane. That's right. how I, that's how I can do it. That's my rejuvenation. That's great. And then when I come in here, I'm like, you know, a new person. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the coronavirus, which was of course going to be one of my questions. <laughs> Talk to me about the day that you found out that you were going to have to close down. It was a shock. I mean, I, I had no idea that, I mean, I, I heard something was going on and I was just kind of like, well, you know, it can't be that serious. I mean, I lived in Africa for five years and I, I was exposed to everything in the world. I thought, well, this can't be, you know, that serious. And I was, so, but we did start doing a few things like we, we had someone serving the cheese and crackers and relishes instead of the customers just getting it on their own. And we were, started wiping down all the handrails and that was just like two days of that. And then all of a sudden boom, you're closed. And it was a real, it was a shock. So, so the first thing was, I said, oh my God, these employees that live, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And my husband happens to be president of the restaurant association this year, the North Carolina. So he and Lynn Menges, the chairman of the association, they set up this immediate restaurant worker relief fund where it's called 505 days where you could apply and in five days you could get $500. Like if you, you know, were so worried about how am I going to feed my children? How am I going to pay my rent? Like it, all it had to do was just, you, you fill out application. It went to the HR manager or the manager of the restaurant. They said, yes, this person works here and you got the 500. It was very fast. They raised over a million dollars from our vendors, like our, all of our, like, spirits vendors and wine vendors and food vendors and I mean we were you know I don't like to ask for money but I was calling saying listen I don't like to ask for money but you need to give a, us a check I mean I mean this is urgent and then my next thing was trying to get the PVP the you know the loan that was so I was so worried about that but until that happened we were you know we called every single employee 368 we called every single one and had talks with them and said, okay, don't worry. You know, if you need money, we'll, we'll loan you money. Your job's going to be safe. You know, don't worry. So we did, we did some loans before the money came in. And then when the money came in, then I could finally sleep at night and we were able to pay them. 
So then we said, well, anyone who wants to come out and help us, we decided to do some renovations that we really could never have done if we hadn't been closed. I'm talking major things like like under our bar floor, there was these cast iron pipes that were leaking for 20 years down into the little barn dining room. And when we pulled up that floor and changed those pipes to PVC pipes, you would have thought that I saw Santa Claus. <laughs> I mean, and no one... No one even knows that, no one even can see the results of that, but that was like one of the happiest days for me. But all these employees, like, so we sent out this thing and we said, even though you're being paid, if you want to come in and just help us with projects, you know, and you feel safe doing it, you know, please just let us know. And like a hundred of them signed up. They wanted to come in and help. And they scrubbed on their hands and knees. I mean, they worked so hard. And so then we started doing to go right away. We've never done to go. We had no idea what we were doing. We had, we did not even understand to go, but we, we got it down. And yeah. our, my best compliment was, well, Easter, we had so many orders, like 700 orders. And I was the one that would write down the, what, what car it was and what the name was and where they were parked while, we, that, while we were waiting for their order to come out of the kitchen. And then when it would come out, I would send them to that car. And then this one guy drove by me and he said, ma'am. Y'all must have studied Chick-fil-A because y'all have got this down. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's the best compliment I ever had to be compared to Chick-fil-A's, you know, the way they can organize yeah. their to-go. So that was that was so great. So then then what we started doing was any, any tips that we got, which the customers were so generous. I mean, just saying, you know, we want to help, we want to help. Then we were divided amongst all the staff that had come in that day. And so that was, that was just a real blessing. And just to see them, I mean, these employees just dripping sweat, even though they're being paid, they could sit at home, but they wanted to come in and and do stuff, you know, for us. And so we did so many things that we could have never have done if the restaurant was, was open. So that, in that way, it was good. Yeah. And then in in several other ways, we, we kept up with the employees, like, all the time through this group chat thing that we have. And we, we did videos of, you know, some of the improvements we were making and we kind of to keep them engaged. And then, but we, some of them that were struggling, like I personally went to one of them's house and and said, we're going on a walk. We're going, you and I are walking. Come Mm -hmm. on, we're walking. And because, you know, I thought he was going to really have a meltdown bad and he needed just to walk and talk. And so I, I said to every manager, you, you are to check in and not just by email and not by text and not, you are to verbally talk to that person and find out how they really are. And if they're really not doing well, you need to let me know and we're going to do something about it. So we really took care of probably about 10 people that were struggling hard and then they're all doing fine now. But that was my main thing was making sure they were all okay yeah so now that the phases has allowed to reopen um i i told my mom who i've taken here a few times she lives in chapel hill but whenever we need a mom daughter outing we usually come here because it's so close to my house mm-hmm. and i said i'm, I'm interviewing van you the owner of angus barn today what question do you want me to ask her for you and huh. she's and she's like ask her how, you know, for, for people who are at risk, like 
like her and my father. Yes. What are some of the precautions that you're taking to ensure the safety of people who actually want to venture out? Right. Well, we, we built these partitions that are plexiglass partitions that our own carpenters built that we can put, you know, on either side of tables. We built like 30 of them and we have all the tables are spaced, you know, apart. All of our front of the house staff wear, wear masks. They can take it off when they're in the kitchen, but when they're out in the front, they wear masks. We're, we have a hand sanitizing stations everywhere. We make sure that we don't allow people to congregate. We don't, our bar and our saloon area are not for congregating there for dining. They, people can sit and dine there. And we have it set up that if people want to have a drink while they're waiting, they can get a drink from an outside bar and then go and wait by their car, you know. And in everything that we have done as far as even how we serve our water and how we serve the cheese and crackers and everything is is totally different than how we do it. We we don't hand out our leather menus. We hand out paper menus that get thrown away every time, Mm. you know, because we don't have... We can't, we don't clean every page of the menu. We just, and the wine list, we, we just give them an app they can go to on their phone if they want, but if they want someone to come to their table and someone can come and go over the wine list with them, but we don't hand out a wine list to every table. We're not used to not boxing up someone's food for them. We have to give the the customer their to-go box and let them box it up. But, you know, it, sometimes it's just like hurts me to do that. I'm like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) because, because. Anything that's considered work, the customer's not supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to do. But anything that could be at all dangerous where there's any kind of touching involved, we minimize that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we probably are as safe as it, it can get right now. With, I mean, with, with everything that we've we've done. I mean, And then plus a lot of em- employees and and. Uh, customers have mentioned some things that we changed immediately, you know, oh, like like blowing out your candles on a cake. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about that. We've been doing that for years, you know. And so what we do is we, we, we have a slice of cake that we bring with candles for the person. And then we have another cake that we're going to now divide up for the table. So they get to still blow out their candles, but they don't blow on the whole cake. But think about that. We've been we've been blowing out candles on cakes for all our lives, and and seven year olds like spitting <laughs> on cakes and all this stuff. You know, we, we never we never thought about it, right? But but now we've we've come up with a way to do that, and so things are different. But our employees totally adapted to everything, and they, you know, the guests all understand. Your mother would feel very safe. We we have an outside check in where we check you in before you even come into the restaurant. And then we escort you to your dining room. And so it's not, there's no, there's no, not even any lines or anything anywhere. So so are you going to keep the deco process now that you've mastered it? Well, I think so, because there's still a lot of people that are uncomfortable coming out. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, it's really done well for us. Because when we tried it before, if someone complained my steak wasn't cooked right, then we would have, we would deliver another steak to their house because like, I, I can't stand for it not to be right. And so we're thinking, Oh Lord, here we go. 
but people have really loved it. And we keep the menu very simple and streamlined so that it's something we can deal with. But the other thing that we're doing that's really great is that we serve uh, frozen cryovac burgers, fillets, and ribeyes, and shepherd's pie, and things like that that people have loved. Because then they can go home and cook it on their own grills. Oh, and, and then I, it's fresh when they want mm-hmm. to plate it. That's yeah. great. And I think that that will always, I think we'll always continue to do that. And we never would have come up with that if this hadn't happened. Wow. So. Well, you've been so generous with your time. I have one more kind of like serious question. And then I have some guilty pleasure questions, if that's okay. okay. Sure, sure. Okay. I know that, that we all see your legacy as we see it. But how do you want your legacy to be seen? You mean like, how do I want to be remembered? Just as somebody that tried to make a difference by how I chose to live my life and treat people. So that people may say, well, what is it? What is it that you do that's different? And then then I can, you know, affect them and then maybe cause them to be that way and you know I've, I I realized that you know I I have 368 people whose livelihoods depend on this place and so anything that I teach them and they believe in like recycling or like you know how to respect other nationalities and other you know religions then that transfers them to their children and then so so it goes much beyond just running a restaurant it's really teaching people you know values like no 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 this is how we handle someone when they're upset you know this is how we you know work through our problems that's how I want to be remembered is just that I tried to live my life as an example of how I would like to see other people treat each other and you know I'm not perfect I'm listen I'm I make mistakes every day but that's another thing is I believe in admitting your mistakes. Just saying, well, I Well, let me tell you something, Vic. <laughs> let me tell you, because you know Raleigh is a very big, small town, and people talk, and I have never once heard anyone utter a crossword about you. Well, you know the ones that don't like me, they're in the lake. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just kidding. Well played. <laughs> they just ended up in there, you know, just like... <laughs> No, uh, but you know, you know, I think, I think it's really important to be able to say, I made a mistake and to be okay with that. And let me tell you how I'm going to fix it. I made a mistake. I'm going to fix it. So I think that's important. And a lot of people forget how to do that when they get to be an adult. Yeah. And I remember watching my father do it one time and I was so like amazed. He stood in front of the whole group and then after he was gone one of the employees said to me you know that time your father stood up in front of all of us and said I was really wrong and I'm sorry and I, here's what I'm going to do well what did, he, what did he do that was so wrong I can't remember all I remember is that that day my respect for him went like from here to here mm-hmm. you know but no one remembered what he was even apologizing for they just remember thinking well you know I, I just realized that we're all human we have to say when we're wrong we just say we're wrong the world needs more humility. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel like the coronavirus was meant to happen. 
I mean, I feel like we were meant to be humbled a little bit and to realize, oh, we do have a lot to be grateful for. And our family time is important. And our, you know, there's precious things that go beyond work and money and all of that. You know, there's there's other things and family meals and just, you know, so, I mean, I think, I think it was really a good thing. I think it was planned by God. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I feel like it's a, a consciousness raising event that was overdue. Uh-huh. And then there have been more consciousness raising uh-huh. events since that right. we're in the midst of. And right. so I applaud you for leading in the way that other people are starting to lead now from the very beginning. And so my my guilty pleasure questions are that the thing outside that looks like a water tank, what what's in there? Well, that that was a water tank. It was. Okay. For, for so we used to be on well water. Okay. And that held all of our water. We had two of them. One was the water for the restaurant and the other was the water for if we had a fire. So now we still keep that filled with water because the only way it will stay, not you know, is if, if you keep it filled. You have to get it once every six years. So we just want to keep that. We're going to keep that going because it's, you know, just part of the Angus Barn. So it is a water tower. Wow. And then who would you say are your most memorable kind of notoriety guests that have come through over the years? Well, Tom Selleck was probably the, one of the kindest men I've ever met. He was just kind and he wasn't full of himself or, you know, it was just like normal person. He came like every night for seven nights while he was doing a play in Durham. And so he was just extremely nice. And I just admired that so much about him. And, you know, we've had, we've had so many people that have like, gotten up so emotional about the Angus barn that, you know, they'll, they'll come here and they'll say, my father has requested to come here because um, he's really not going to make it too much longer, but this is going to be like our last family meal together. That was, is such a, such a compliment to us that that's where that family wanted to mm-hmm. have their last meal together. And then we named, we, we named the stall, where they sat after their family and then that, you know, they come back for his birthday and for all the different, we, we have that in about 10 places all over the restaurant where people have come. And then they've also written letters saying we didn't know it, but that was our last time as a family. We didn't, you know, but that did happen to be. Then I got a letter one time years ago that was, that said that her marriage was on the brink and they had decided that, you know, they were going to work out all the details of how the divorce was going to go. And they came here for dinner and certain things happened during the dinner that were so nice for them that they, instead of working out a divorce, that they really rekindled their relationship. And she wrote me all about this and she said, I I owe my marriage the way my marriage has worked out now to the Angus barn because we walked in and we felt so welcomed and warm and like that we got treated so nicely. And, and then we couldn't talk about anything bad. We were just talking about, like, well, maybe we should really make this work. <laughs> and so, you know, I got that letter and that was just like blew me away. It's really, you know, things like that, that 
mean so much. I mean, people just get emotional. You know, they're like one man just walked in the other night and he started crying. He said, oh, my God, I should have told you my wife passed away. And his wife, I, you know, I had a real good relationship with her. And I said, that, you know, you didn't have to tell me. That's okay. You know, just, he said, but she loved this place and she loved you. And this is, you know, this is happiness for her. You know, being here is just happiness for her. So they had come to celebrate her birthday here just like three nights ago. Wow. And then he sent me a picture of and she had lost her ability to really um, speak. She had had a stroke and she couldn't really speak well. But somehow I could understand her really well. So she and I would have all these conversations a, a lot when she would come out to dinner. And sometimes I didn't really understand, but I just said, yes, I agree. And I would just go, you know, but most of the time I understood what she was saying. And so we had a really good relationship. And it's just things like that, that you realize it goes so so much further beyond the meal the meal is just the thing but the but the real thing is the feeling that you create it's the energy of the mm -hmm. space which mm -hmm. is full of love mm -hmm. and generosity mm -hmm. and creativity and that's kind of a good segue to my final question which you might have already answered all of the names in the turkey lounge how do they get placed there well it started with somebody that had come there a lot and they said you know i need my name up on this bar and so we said oh, okay because you know the the if it's not illegal immoral or unethical the answer is yes <laughs> that's our standard and so so that wasn't illegal immoral unethical so we put his name up there then then the next person said well you know how can i get my name up there so all of our regulars started asking for their name plates to be up there. And then some would make it funny, cute little names like, and then, then it really got out of control. <laughs> and so then the, the, the employees would come to me going, Van, do we have any, like, do they have to eat here a certain amount of time to get their name or what? I said, no, if someone brings it up, just, just write down their name and we'll make a plaque and we'll find a place for it because how, what what am I going to say? You have to eat here ten times to get your name up there, or whatever you know. So all you really have to do is ask. But a lot of people don't ask, but a lot do. And so what it really creates is that they come back because their name is there on this little brass plaque that cost us maybe ten dollars or whatever. So my name is Kathleen O'Grady. <laughs> how do you want it? You can you you tell me how you want it. Okay, and, well, it's been a bucket list item for me. Oh my gosh! You, yeah, <laughs> it will happen. It will happen. Uh, you got to write it down exactly. I will. How what you want it to say? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, so it just started. It got it got out of control, but it doesn't doesn't matter. You know, one time we took some of the name. We ran it. We were running out of space, and we took some of the names down. We thought, well, they're never coming back. But, I'll be darned. They those the, the very next month, like half of those people came back, and I'm like, get all those plaques out of that box and put them all back up, because I'm going like, oh, they must have fallen down. Oh my god, you know, like, and I'm thinking this is horrible. So don't ever take a nameplate down because the sooner you take, as soon as you take it down, even, even if they haven't been, even if they moved to another country, then they come back to Raleigh and then they want to see their name again. And we, we learned our lesson. We're like, no, don't ever take one down, you know. <laughs> so we, <laughs> that was that was crazy. But you will have your name up there. Oh, God bless you. <laughs>
Van, thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me and for being here during this difficult time and with a pulled back. You're <laughs> just you're just remarkable. Well, listen, I want to thank you for asking me to do this because that was a real compliment to me that you you wanted to interview me and you know, I well, don't have I don't have all the answers either. I'm learning every day. I learn every single day something new about you know, oh God, should have, should have thought of that, that a long time ago, you know, but. Well, you are an icon in this well, community and well, beyond. I, I don't, I didn't, I don't think of myself or realize that, that, I mean, I thank you for saying that. And that's what makes you an icon is right. that you don't want to be seen that way necessarily. You just show up as you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You're going to make me cry. That's <laughs> my job. <laughs> That was Van Ure, owner of the Angus Barn in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in typical Van fashion, right after we stopped recording, she made sure we were all fed. I had a wonderful meal at the Wild Turkey Lounge. And of course, I'm going to have to come back and see my name on that plaque. A couple of things before we go. During the show, we talked about the history of the Walk for Hope to support mental illness research projects. To donate, be sure to visit walkforhope.com and if you'd like to donate to the North Carolina Restaurant Workers Relief Fund the fund that Van mentions provides $500 in 5 days to restaurant employees you can visit ncrestaurantrelief.com thank you so much Van Yur for your leadership your hospitality and all that you do for the Triangle Intro and outro music for this podcast was provided by a dear friend and former client, the incredibly talented Autumn Rose Brand. You can find out more about her and her music at autumnbrandviolin.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. For more on full-service podcast production for your business or personal brand, visit earfluence.com. Thanks and stay safe.